This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education X. Thank you for joining us. Congress recently passed legislation appropriating another $440 million to help build new charter schools, but the Biden administration has proposed restrictions that will limit the way in which these funds can be used. The U.S. Department of Education has announced that the new monies Congress has appropriated cannot be used unless they can be shown to promote social and racial diversity in the schools. These new rules have just been announced and they could be revised before they take effect. But they seem to have emerged in response to claims that charter schools are intensifying segregation in major metropolitan areas. Well, is that really happening on the ground? It's well known that charters serve disproportionately an African-American and Hispanic-American population, but is it actually intensifying racial and ethnic segregation by opening charter school doors to the most disadvantaged segment of the population? To cast light on this topic, Sarah Cordes and Augustino Rito have taken a close look at the impact of charter schools on the racial and ethnic composition of public schools operated by the New York City School District. They also look at the impact on neighborhoods in which charter schools are located. Their report, Choice and Change, the Implications of Charter School Expansion for School and Neighborhood Diversity in New York City, suggests that the Biden regulations are quite unnecessary in all probability. So I'm pleased to have Sarah Cordes a professor in the College of Education and Human Development at Temple University on the Education Exchange uh, today. So, Thera, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, Sarah, could you first give me your bottom line finding? Are charter schools exacerbating or are they alleviating the segregation in the schools of New York City? So what we find is overall um, charter schools are um, actually alleviating segregation. It is a very small impact, um, but we do find that as charter schools enter and expand, um, the nearby traditional public schools are actually becoming slightly more diverse. And how about neighborhoods? What is the impact on neighborhoods of a charter school coming into the community? So we actually find a similar uh, pattern in neighborhoods. The neighborhoods are also becoming more diverse, but a little bit, the change is occurring a little bit more slowly in the neighborhoods than it is in the schools. So one of the most frequently heard criticisms of charter schools is that they t intensify segregation in cities and in whole metropolitan areas. So uh, it's said that white families seek out charter schools that are predominantly white and African-American and Hispanic families are uh, forced to go to charter schools that uh, are mostly minority. So what do you think of these criticisms? I mean, I will say in terms of the patterns we see in New York, um, certainly it is the Black and Hispanic students that are exiting um, public schools to attend charter schools. Um, and the charter school sector in New York does tend to be a little bit less diverse than the public school sector. Um, but um, it looks like what's going on is sort of Black and Hispanic students are leaving um, very highly segregated public schools when they go to attend a charter school. Um, and so when they leave those public schools to attend a charter school, the public school then becomes slightly more diverse. For example, we find that um, as charter schools expand, the probability 
um, that a traditional public school enrolls more than 90% um, black students actually decreases. Um, so it seems like basically what's going on is um, black and Hispanic students are leaving highly segregated public schools um, to go to also highly, highly segregated charter schools. That's somewhat less segregated charter yes. schools, perhaps. Somewhat. No, because most of segregation is taking place in the public schools in this country are, is driven by attendance boundaries and by the fact that neighborhoods are segregated and people go to the local school and the local school serves the local community. Isn't that the driving force of uh, school segregation in the United States today? Yeah, in most places, that's what explains it. And particularly, you know, when you're thinking about a city like New York, it is uh, the residential segregation. It's, it's one of the most highly residentially segregated cities in the, in the country. Well, how much can you generalize from your research in New York City? Is this, is this true of charter schools around the country or is New York the exception? So um, that's always a question I get when doing research in New York City. Um, so there has been some national research on charter schools um, that finds um, different impacts that does find that there is some small um, segregative effects of charter schools. Um, and the way we try to understand our findings in the context of that bigger picture is there are some features of the charter school sector um, in New York that are somewhat unique and could potentially provide lessons for other districts. So for example, um, charter schools in New York um, all are required to provide a geographic uh, enrollment preference um, to students that live in the community school district where the charter school is located. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a community school district is, there's, there's 32 of these in New York City. So it's much bigger than a, like what you would think of as a traditional neighborhood, but it's smaller than the entire city of New York. Um, so that's that geographic preference is one um, factor that may play into it. Also, um, New York has a relatively small charter school sector. So only about 10 to 12% of students are enrolled in charter schools. And there's also um, a cap on, on charter schools in New York. So the growth of, of charter schools has over time been somewhat limited. Um, so I think if you take all of those factors and combine them, it may explain some of what we're seeing and why it's a little bit different um, in New York than elsewhere. Um, what I will say in terms of generalizing finding is, is we did look at these to see if um, sort of the big outlier in New York is Manhattan, right? So we looked um, at the different boroughs to see if the patterns were the same. If you look at, you know, Staten Island or Queens, which are a little bit more parts of them are a little bit more, have more of a suburban feel. And we did see similar patterns across all of the boroughs. So it doesn't seem just to be like a high rise, big city Manhattan phenomenon either. Well, and nationwide, <clears throat> there is some, uh, some charter schools do have a considerable white uh, population, but you know, nationwide, I think, what, two thirds of all charter school students are either African-American or Hispanic-American. So the charter school, sector is pretty much serving a disadvantaged population, wouldn't you say? Yes, particularly um, when you look at cities, um, the charter schools that open do tend to be targeted towards um, sort of historically marginalized students. Well, Howard Fuller in uh, Wisconsin, he's a charter school advocate, uh, 
he says this he's a he's a black leader who's been concerned about the education of black children for half a century and he says well you know um why do you even use the word segregation to refer to charter schools? Because charter schools are voluntarily chosen. And if African-American and Hispanic-American students want to go to a charter school, why would you call that segregation? I mean, that, that's a good question. Um, it was quite different than what was on in the South in 1945 when when you were told you go to this school or you don't go to school at all, and that school is going to be all white or all black. So this is quite different than being told you must go to a segregated school. Nobody has to go to a charter school who doesn't want to. Yes, that is true. And I mean, obviously, we weren't able to get into that in our particular study. Um, but um, what I can say is in New York, this the this charter schools are... Um, almost always oversubscribed. So there's certainly more families that want them than um, there are seats available. And of course that makes it hard for, for charter schools to segregate because if they have to accept students at random through a lottery, then they have to take whoever applies. They can't pick and choose on the basis of their ethnic background. Right, and I, I guess some people um, want one of the arguments for how they, they can segregate is sort of where they decide to, to open up um, within a city or a school district and sort of who would physically have access to charter schools. Um, but again, in New York and a lot of other cities, these schools do tend to open sort of in um, low income, high, um, high minority parts of the city. Well, that can be used as an accusation against them, because if you locate in that area, then you could be said to locate in an area where you're likely to be serving only one or two ethnic groups that both of them are disadvantaged. And, and uh, so that's really the cause. But it's, it's sort of a catch to criticism, because if charter schools didn't open in the neighborhood where the demand for charter schools is the greatest, and the criticism would be, well, they're serving the white community or the Asian community, not the community that really is um, in most in need of a, of a choice of education. Right, yes, so it does, it does get, it does get tricky um, for charter schools, certainly. Um, and you know, and other work that I've done um, looking at sort of intentionally diverse charter schools, um, even though schools um, really have a challenge in terms of you know, picking locations where they are able to access, you know, students of, of from wide demographic and socioeconomic backgrounds. So. so why do they have trouble? What are the what are the barriers? Is it the the government won't approve a, a charter in that area, or what? What's the? No, I mean it's really most of the time it has to do with just residential segregation and housing patterns. So a school may open up in one area because it's racially diverse, but then it'll begin to gentrify. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have predominantly white students in the neighborhood or um, to open in a racially diverse neighborhood, they might have to open somewhere where the, the transportation access isn't as good. Um, and so then it can be hard for students to get there. I mean, it really, a lot of it just ends up coming down to housing and, and, and residential segregation that's just 
really. Well, well your, your study is very sophisticated. Uh, and I think what you do is you, you look at grade level segregation and instead of looking at this in a simple way, you look at it in a more uh, careful way so you can see a causal connection. So what exactly do you do to uh, try to pin down whether or not the charter school is causing segregation? Yeah, so what we do is sort of a big concern with doing this type of work is that any changes you're seeing in the school might reflect changes that are going on in the neighborhood, right? So like people moving in and out and the demographic composition of the neighborhood changing. Um, and so what we do to try to uh, deal with that concern is we compare um, the racial composition of let's say two grades in the same school. One grade um, has a higher share of charter school seats available to the student than the other grade. And so we see how the racial composition of that grade, that sort of where students would have more access to charter schools compares to the racial composition of a grade where students would have less access. Both at the charter school and then at the schools in the neighborhood, right? So we only look at the effect on the schools in the neighborhood. You don't look at the schools at the oh. charter school person? No. So we looked sort of, we looked at general trends in, in charter school composition across the city, but the study was really focused on um, the effects on traditional public schools um, because that sort of tends to be, um, at least in a lot of rhetoric, sort of the big concern about charter schools is that they're having this negative impact on traditional public schools. And that's where the majority of students are still being educated. So that's where we focus this research. Well, you have this, um, this uh, concept that uh, you call entropy. And I'm not sure what I think of it, to be honest with you. I know you didn't invent it. It's, it's uh, others have used it, but um, you know, entropy, I think if I, I sort of remember the, some, some law of thermodynamics out there that talks about, you know, eventually the universe is going to be totally Zippo energy in it as if we continue to expand for it. So entropy means nothing. So, um, and you say that entropy exists when you have a school with only one ethnic background in it. So 100% white is a is suffering from extreme entropy. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So that's where I went to school. I went to school in a small town in Minnesota and um, the, the whole town was, I don't know, maybe we had somebody who was non-white living in our community. I can't remember that. I don't think there was anybody in my grade in the school um, ever. And so I didn't think that we had no energy. I thought it was a pretty good school. So is this the right word? Again, I didn't invent this measure. Um, we used different, we, what we really wanted to do was find a measure of diversity that would allow us to look at many racial groups. So some of the sort of more traditional measures of segregation, um, you might see like isolation or dissimilarity are really only designed for, you know, making comparisons between two racial groups, but because New York is so diverse um, and it does have, you know, four, at least four pretty sizable racial groups in the city, um, 
we wanted to, to choose a measure that was able to handle having multiple racial groups in it. Um, we, we toyed around with some others, but we, we landed on this one sort of based on, on feedback. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And that's very good because a lot of measures out there uh, do, uh, well, we're going to divide the population in half. We're going to say the world divides between African-American and Hispanic Americans who are identical to one another. And the other half is white Americans and Asian Americans who are identical to one another. And we're going to see whether or not we have segregation between these two big categories, which of course ignores the fact that the Hispanic Americans are very different from African-Americans and Asian Americans are very different from white Americans. So I can see your, the logic of what you've done there. Uh, it's, it's your measure has a lot going for it from that point of view. Yeah, we thought so. And then, I mean, in addition, because this is kind of a complicated measure, um, we did also look at the breakdown sort of in, in terms of how actual enrollments were changing by race as well, just to give a more complete picture about what was going on. So yeah, alternative measures are picking up pretty much the same pattern that actually you get less segregation if you open up a charter school in the district schools. Yes. Yeah, so basically when we look at, you know, the enrollments of various racial groups, what we see um, what's going on is basically there's small declines in enrollment in public schools. Um, and that's driven mostly by um, decreases in enrollment among black and Hispanic students. And then there's a small increase in the number of white students enrolled in the, the public schools. Um, and like I said, that increases diversity again, because these students tend to be exiting traditional public schools that were very highly segregated to begin with. But then perfect integration in your model is 25% of each of the four groups. How can you possibly do that when there are so few Asians? So there, I don't think we actually have any schools that are. are, are so um, you, you have a measure of perfect integration that can never be attained. There might, I'm trying to think if there, there might be parts of the city where it's possible, but, um, or where it might get close. Um, so isn't, wouldn't it make more sense to have, well, how does the school compare to some larger units such as the district as a whole or the community as a whole or the borough as a whole or something like that? Why not do, uh, which is the old Taubman index, I think, or the index of, uh, I think, I've forgotten the names keep changing, uh, but there is an index out there that compares, you know, how the, how the school looks as compared to the area within which the school is embedded. Yeah, so we could do that. Um, but again, that gets a little, it gets a little tricky because again, that also starts to pick up residential segregation too. Um, Cause even, you know, if we think about in New York boroughs are huge. I don't know that that's a particularly helpful comparison point because even within boroughs there's a lot of variation in terms of the neighborhoods and, and how um, segregated or diverse they are. So I think we really decided to focus on just more of a school level measure just because those larger comparison points are potentially picking up 
From my point of view, I don't know that there is such a thing as the right measure of right. Yes, it's a very. I think everyone we talk to has a different idea of uh, which which. It's it's very complicated. Integration measure is the best that you really worked at it to try to tease out uh, uh, the pattern. But do you think the new regulations by the Biden administration are are required? I don't. Um, Particularly. I feel like some of the pieces around sort of the school needing to show that there, there won't be negative segregative impacts, I just feel like is really beyond the capacity. Um, I mean, this, this study, you know, like to actually show that a school is going to cause or not cause segregation. I mean, this, this took years for me to do with my co-author and between us, we have years of methodological training with data. And I I think um, asking individual schools to try and and perform that kind of analysis is is particularly onerous. Um, And I think the burden- They gotta do it, they gotta do it ahead of time before they open their doors. I mean, you had at least the luxury of having the schools around for a while. Right. You could look at them. They would have had to have done this before they even taught a single child. So it, it does seem like it's open to all kinds of political um, considerations if you're gonna put in a requirement like that. Yes, and I think certainly the, the heavier burden for this would fall on sort of the smaller kind of like mom and pop charter schools. Um, some of the bigger networks might, might have more capacity to do that, but I think those are also the schools that are a little bit more um, contentious in in the charter school world. Um, So yeah, I think, I I certainly understand the desire to, you know, charter schools are getting public money, making sure they're accountable and um, making sure that they're working well within the public system. Um, But I think some of this front end work that's required doesn't seem reasonable, like a reasonable request. So you might really want to know whether or not that charter school is going to do a good job of educating the children that it's serving. Isn't that what we really want to know? I mean, from my, my perspective, yes. I mean, in terms of, you know, where I fall on the the charter school debate, like, I don't think charter schools are necessarily good or bad. I think there are good charter schools and bad charter schools, just like there are good public schools and bad public schools. And really, um, what we should be trying to do is just making sure that the charter schools that are being authorized and are allowed to continue are doing a good job educating kids. That seems very sensible to me. So thank you very much, uh, Sarah, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Yeah, my pleasure. I've been speaking with Sarah Cordes, a professor in the School of Education and Human Development at Temple University. Uh, Sarah and her co-author have done a study of the effect of charters on racial and ethnic segregation in New York City. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Exchange.